Welcome to Kingdom Perspective Broadcast, the teaching ministry of Dr. David Ogaga. We believe that this message is going to open up the seals and cause you to have a deeper revelation into the Word of God that will make you see beyond the letters in the Word. Here is Dr. David. Let's pray. Father God, we just want to thank and exalt your name on this hour, God. We just come before you. Once again, we are here to receive instructions. We demand the Holy Spirit of God that you grant us insight, wisdom, and revelation into your word. Cause our Jesus Christ to be edified, lifted up, that will come to the same dimension of the measure of the stature of your Holy Son, Jesus Christ. Thank you, Father God. In Jesus' name. Amen. Praise God. All right, so we continue with our study on Revelation 14. I told you before that it's going to be a very long study because we're dealing with each and every aspect of this uh, passage. So Revelation 14, uh, reading from verse 1 to 2. Revelation 14, reading from verse 1 to 2. And uh, Bible says, and I looked. And lo, a lamb stood on Mount Zion, and with him a hundred and forty-four thousand, having his father's name written in their foreheads. That is verse number one. Praise God. Are you together with us, those in the technicals? Can I put that on the board? All right, so, um, last week I was dealing with us as touching the receiving of the name. Revelation 14. Are you there? Yeah, verse number one. And let us add two together. Take verse two. And he said, And I had a voice from heaven, as the voice of many waters, and had the voice of a great thunder, and I had the voice of harpers happen with the harps. Amen. Okay, so the emphasis tonight, we'll be touching a little bit on the voice, but we're going to be dealing with the continuation of last week, talking about receiving his name. You know, in our forehead, as we receive his name. So, before we move to verse number two um, of this particular verse, it's essential once again to consider some relevant point on the significance of our receiving the name of the Lord on our forehead. Talking of the significance, the the relevance, the 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 importance, what it portrays. Uh, it's important to remind us again. That uh, Revelation 14 reveals a company of people. I just want to remind us of that. It reveals a company of people who are the followers of the Lamb, as contrasted to the followers of the beast of Revelation 13. So I will need us to go to Revelation 13. Let's look at 16 and 17. Revelation 13, 16 and 17. Praise God. The Bible says, And he caused talking about the beast, both small and great, rich and poor, free and bond, to receive a mark in their right hand and in their foreheads. I want you to get that. Did you get it? So move on to the next verse. And that no man might buy or sell, save he that hath the mark or the name of the beast or the number of his name. So now, in Revelation 13, you have a group of people who have the name of the beast written in their hands, right hand in particular, and where? In their forehead. 
So you find that Revelation 14 is a contrast of Revelation 13. Revelation 13 are men who are being controlled by the Adamic spirit. Is that okay? The Revelation 14 are men that are being controlled by the spirit of Christ. Summary. And you got to understand that Revelation 13, the mark is still where? On their forehead. So that is why when you come to Revelation 14, begin to see that the mark also of the Lord is where? In the forehead of the redeemed. And I made you to understand to have a mark in your forehead is all just thinking, I mean speaking about your mind. Your mindset. What controls you? How you live your life. How you live. So in Revelation 13 we have the beastly nature controlling a set of people. And then when you move to Revelation 14 you now have a, a different group of people who are following the Lamb and they now have the mind of Christ. In summary. So we have now a new spirit Not the spirit of the beast Is it making sense to you? Yeah So a group of people have the spirit of the beast And another group of people have the spirit of who? Of Christ And those are the people that have the name of the Lord Written where? In their forehead It's very simple Praise the Lord So you need to get this contrast And it's very important So that you see that So those who are basically in nature are earthly minded. They are carnal minded. That's just the main thing. Look at 1 Corinthians 15 verse 49, the A part. 1 Corinthians 15 verse 49. Praise God. 1 Corinthians 15 verse 49. As we are born the image of the arty, we shall also bear the image of what? Of the heavenly. Who is the arty? Adam. Who is the heavenly? Christ. The same two set of people. So, before we moved on to Revelation 14, we have the image of the arty. And then when you move to Revelation 14, that is, Revelation 13 is the image of the arty. Revelation 14 is the image of the heavenly. The heavenly speaks of Christ. Are we together? Are you following me? Very simple. So all such people who are still walking on the A part, which is the image of the arty, they are the one that have the mark of the beast on their forehead and in their right hand. Is it making sense to you? All right. So that's the mark of the beast. The right hand. What's the right hand? I mentioned that to you before. Right hand is a place of power. That's why you find that Jesus Christ is sitting on the right hand of God. It's a place of power. So when you say right hand, you're talking about place of power in any system. So to receive the mark of the beast on the right hand simply means you're doing ministry, whatever, with another spirit, which is not the spirit of Christ. You find that fully explained to us in Mark chapter, chapter 9. We don't have time to go and read that. But remember, Jesus was saying, those who kind of distract or disturb. Remember, the story was... There were some people that were doing signs and wonders and miracles, but they were not part of the team of Jesus Christ, right? And John and so, they tried to stop them, so they came to Jesus. And they said, well, this guy performing signs and wonders, and yet he's not part of us, so we have to stop him. And Jesus said, you don't have to do that. And then he went to do the story and began to say, 
If your right hand make you to sin, cut it off. Huh? If your right hand make you to sin, if your eyes make you to sin, cut it off. So, why would it be that your sin will be in your right hand? That's the same thing. So, you're walking carnally. You're not walking with the spirit of Christ. You understand that? And that's why when you teach it about if your right hand make you to sin, cut it off, it's good to enter heaven with two hands than to enter with, I mean, with one hand than to enter with two hands. And, and be born in hell. So my question always comes in this way. Why is it that it's only your right hand that makes you to sin? That's what we're going to explain. Amen? Praise the Lord. What Jesus was actually saying there was, if you're doing anything in, I mean, the, whatever power you are using, if it's not of God, if it's not of Christ, it's the wrong one. Whatever thought, mindset you are having, if it's not of Christ, it's a wrong one. Remember that statement he was making, he was making that to his own disciples, he was telling them to other people. So he was talking to them in relation to the attitude and character and the estimation they have about the man that was doing signs and wonders. But people don't understand this. Jesus wasn't preaching that hell passage to everybody in quote. He was preaching it to his disciples because of their attitude towards the man that was doing signs and wonders. You go back and read it. Are you getting that? If your right hand, if your right foot, your eye make you to sing. I mean, you ask a question. <laughs> if, 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 if one part of you make you to sing, the whole lot of you go to hell. Now just think about it. How is that your right hand? How is it that your, your right eye, whatever the case may be, the only that will make you to sing? Praise God. So, it's actually talking about the power and the kind of mindset that you're having, all of that. And so again, we'll find that in Mark 13, I mean that Revelation 13, talk about the name, name of the beast. And where is it written? In their forehead. Revelation 13, 16. Keep it on the board, please. Praise the Lord. Are you following? Right. And because they're both to have a great, rich, and poor and there is a mark in their right, right hand or where? In their foreheads. And I want you, this main emphasis I want you to get. So, the one for the 4,000 on the other hand that we are dealing with, the overcomers of the beastly nature through the indwelling power of the Holy Spirit. The one for the 4,000 are now overcomers of the beastly nature of Revelation 13. First Corinthians 15. Of the born the image of the earth, which are also bear the image of the heavenly. That means we have been able to overcome the image of the earth. Now we receive the image of what? Of the heavenly. And where is that written anytime you receive the name? On the forehead. So, right now you have received the name of the Lord on your forehead. In contrast to when or before you became a Christian and you have the name of the beast, which is the mark of his name. On your forehead, meaning your attitude, your character was opposed to that of who? Of Christ. So those who have come in into the kingdom, the redeemed of the Lord, they are now working with the spirit of Christ. And so they have the mind of Christ, meaning the character, the nature of God is now written where? In their forehead, which is in their mind. And last week, we dealt extensively as to what the character or the name stands for. You remember that? Praise God. Alright. Now Isaiah has something to say 
along this line. Let's look at it from the um, New Living Translation. Uh, let's look at Isaiah chapter 4, reading from verse number 3. Isaiah 4, verse number 3. Uh, okay. And all who remain in Zion will be a holy people. Those who serve the destruction, survive the destruction of Jerusalem and are recorded among the living. I just want you to note that. This is prophetic of what we're dealing with. And the Bible said the remnant or those who will remain or those who overcome, they shall be holy people. Amen. Those living in Zion. Where is Zion? The church. Remember that. Okay. They have life, which is the life of God. The Christ's life. And they are there who have received the Father's name. Where? In their forehead. Get it right. And they follow the Lamb, whether they fire, he goeth. These are them who have truly come to become the temple of the living God. So, I'm going to show us some effects of receiving this name in our forehead. Praise the Lord. If you take time to read, we don't have time to go there. But if you look at Second Chronicles chapter 7, when Solomon was dedicating the temple, which he built to the glory of God, we are told the Lord appeared in glory. Anyway, let's look at it from New Living Translation 14 to 16, Second Chronicles 7. Second Chronicles 7, yeah, 14 to 16. Then my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sins and restore their lands. Okay? Move on. But remember, those who are seeing my name, my eyes will be upon and be open and my ears attend to every prayer made in this place. Hallelujah. Look at the next verse. Go to verse 16. For I have chosen this temple and set it apart to be holy a place where my name will be honored forever. I will always watch over it for it is dear to my heart. Hallelujah. It's like David saying, I am the apple of God's eyes. When you overcome the business system, and you finally have received the mark of God, which is how to do with his name, on your forehead. You receive the name now on your forehead. You become a peculiar treasure to God. And what happened? He sets you apart as a holy place, being his temple. He watches over you. And when you pray, he answers your prayers. Are you following this? Praise the Lord. It's very important. Living Bible says, I've chosen and consecrated this place so that my name may be there forever. My eyes and my heart will always be there. Praise God. This is the effect of receiving the name of the Lord on your forehead. As we receive his name, which is his nature, we become a consecrated people to be observed as clean ceremonially or morally. To be dedicated or hallowed, purified or sanctified, holy. 
because we receive his name by implication we become blameless can you look at something first Thessalonians chapter 5 verse 23 this becomes the estimation of God as he watches you as he, as he looks you looked at you why because you become his temple you become his dedicated temple you remember as we progress I make you see that Jesus have to drive away those who are being and selling from his temple how many of you remember that in it I said print when becoming a place of prayer that's what he said and so we come to the place where this is where you have to come to the understanding that when you pray God answers your prayer why because he consecrated you as a holy place for himself and he said my eyes will always be here and when people pray from this temple I will hear do you understand that and that makes you to understand have that conviction and confidence that wherever you are the Lord is watching over you can I hear amen now, may the God of peace follow this. Himself sanctify you completely. And may your whole spirit and soul and body be preserved blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, this is where God is taking you to. And is the one doing it. It's nothing that you can do by yourself. I will consecrate this place. I will sanctify you wholly. May God sanctify you holy. Hallelujah. Spirit, soul, and body. Amen. And with that, his eyes, which speaks of his face and intelligence. The presence of his glory. And his heart, which speaks of his thought and mind towards us. Will always be upon us continually. In other words, he watch over those whom he has set apart. For his name. Perpetually. Not sometime. Because his nature. Have been formed where? In such people. Amen. This is something that gives you. Confidence. As a believer. Knowing. That God has consecrated you. As his temple. His face. You always behold. And he's always beholding you. He will reveal his face continuously to you. He's brought you to the place where when you pray, he answers. It's vitally important we get to this understanding. Protection is absolutely guaranteed by the Lord. Why? Because his name is upon your forehead. It's now temple. Praise the Lord. Therefore, because we have received his name, is identifying with his nature, and so we share his glory with us because of his divine nature, which has to do with what? His character. I'm going to share something from the book of uh, Zechariah, but before I read that, look at 2 Corinthians chapter 6. Uh, look, let's look at 16 and 18 and see. 2 Corinthians 6, 16 and 18. And what agreement has the temple of God with idols? For you are the temple of the living God. Can I hear an amen to that? And as God has said, I will dwell in them and walk among them. I will be their God and they shall be my people. Just because you are his temple, you have to be able to pick this and understand what God is saying when you truly become his temple. As he consecrates you and sanctifies you, for himself. 
Look at verse 17. Therefore, come out from among them and be the separate seer of the Lord. Go not touch nor words unclean, and I will cleave, I will receive you. Amen. Praise the Lord. Now you can look at maybe verse 18 again. 18 says, I will be a father to you, and you shall be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. Did you get that? When you become his temple, as he consecrated to himself, I will be your father. And you know what it means to be a father to someone? Like I was sharing over there in Bonnie. I've told you briefly here. Sons live by inheritance. And by the provision of the father. If God becomes your father, then you have to have that understanding. That he's ready to make provision for you. Amen. Praise the Lord. At this stage, you become an heir of the father. Just like Isaac was an heir to Abraham. You get that? Right. So when you are praying, you pray with conviction. What is the conviction? You know what belongs to you as a son, as a daughter in the house. You don't pray like you're approaching a stranger. You pray like you're approaching your father. Your language is straight to your father what he wants. And like I keep saying, that's why in Luke 11, it will tell you, nobody will ask for fish and will give him a serpent. You ask for bread and you get a stone. You see, that is not possible. You, if you natural man can do this to your children, how much more God who is your father? So when you are praying, so it's not about that. Or the rattlings that we do sometimes. That's why Jesus said, it's not by much praying. And when you pray, don't pray like the hypocrites. With much wealth and amounting to nothing. You know what you want from your father. You go to your father and talk to your father about it. Are you getting what I'm talking about? You should be able to approach God as your father. That's what he says here. You are not approaching him like a stranger. And that's why I always like the prodigal son. I have always said this before. See, the prodigal son will go to the father and say, give me the portion that belongs to me. He knew he was a son. He knew he has a right in the father's house. He knew there are some property that belongs to him in the father's house. He was not going to ask questions or ask somebody else to pray for him to get those stuff. So he went to his father and said, let me get what belongs to me. And the father will not deny him because he has a right as a son in the father's house. He gave him what belongs to him. Are you following me? So when you come to the place of prayer, this is what you should do. You should have this conviction. You should have this understanding. Because he said, once you become my temple, I become your father. You become my sons and daughters. Amen? And he said, I will dwell in them. And one strong statement there. Go back again. Let me show you this. Go back to verse 17. Or 16 now. No, go to 16. What agreement are the temple of God which I had us for you are the temple of the living God. As God said, I would dwell in them and walk among them. I will be their God and they shall be my people. This is a covenant that God is making. This one said, I would walk among them. Just like you find in the temple of Moses. God told him, make the ark. I will come and dwell among you on top of the ark. So the children of Israel could go when they want to seek the face of God, they go to the temple. Is that okay? And then when they want to move, the glory cloud moves and follows them. They follow the glory cloud. But there's something I want you to understand here. When he said, I walk among them, 
Actually, the king just said, I walk in them. And I prefer that translation in this context. Why? You can understand how Adam and Eve was in the garden. This is the picture he's painting. Adam and Eve were supposed to be children to God. Is that okay? And what happened? The Bible said they heard the voice of God in the cool of the evening. They could hear God. He was among them. And that's what we're saying. You can't be a child of God and you can't hear from your father. You are a stranger. Adam and Eve could hear from God. In the cool of the evening, they knew when God was passing by. And he said, I walk among them. The truth of the matter is, it's not walking among you separately. It's walking within you right now by the power of the Holy Spirit. So you hear God in the spirit of your mind. You can understand God in the spirit of your mind. You understand what I'm saying? Praise God. Going to where the scriptures as many as are led by the spirit of God. They are what? The sons of God. That's how it works. He walks amongst you. Within you. By the power of the Holy Spirit. Praise God. Hallelujah. You're getting this. This scripture, anytime I read it, it sends a message across my heart. It gives me a strong conviction about my faith, my conviction about who God is, about my relationship with and to God. Amen? Hallelujah. You know, I've always told us this. I mentioned that in the previous study as well. The spirit of bondage that we have not received is the spirit of slavery. And that is because the children of Israel, when God wanted to talk to them, they said, don't talk to us, talk to Moses. I let Moses talk to us. That instant request the men made them slaves. So a slave is one that don't have access to the father. Somebody else had to mediate between him and that individual. Did you get that? But the spirit we have received, the spirit of adoption, whoever will cry what? Abba Father. So we can talk to God directly. That's what prayer really means. And that is why you should be able to measure your prayer. When you pray, you should be able to come. If I've gotten this result or not, we're talking to your father. Has God provided this now or not? Must I wait for some time? Praise God. Are you there with me? A few days ago, the Lord was speaking to me. I had some personal time with the Lord and gave me some numbers. And I began to study and I began to understand what God was speaking to me about. I don't have to share that with you. It's personal. Amen. But it's important. And makes you to know that you are on course in life. It makes you to know that your relationship is still there. It makes you to understand that God's face, like he said in his word, is still over you. One of the things that gives you that conviction is when he talks to you. You understand that? Praise the Lord. You know, I'll keep on saying this until you get it. Because it's my burden. What is my burden? That you must hear God for yourself. You can be a slave in your father's house. Are you there with me? Praise God. That is why you see the children of Israel were supposed to be a prophetic community. That means everybody can hear God, everybody can speak, everybody can. You know, and Jesus even rounded up by saying, My sheep hear my voice. Everyone who says sheep can hear the voice of the Father. You understand that? Praise God. So without you can't be misled. Even if somebody gives you a prophecy 
and it does not agree with the conviction of the spirit in your heart you know that's the first one you don't need it for anything because every child must supposed to hear the father speak to him as a matter of fact Hebrew 12 tells us if you don't enjoy the chastening of the Lord what did he say? you are a bastard the discipline of God part of the ways by which God actually walks with him by way of discipline is when he gives you instructions of what to do and what not to do and the Bible is saying anybody who does not enjoy the chastening or the discipline of the father is a bastard. Who's a bastard? Hmm? You don't have a father. Amen. Hallelujah. Okay. Let's move down to something in the book of Zacharias chapter 10. I mean 14. Uh, let's take it from the living Bible. Or the new living translation. Zechariah 14. 20 to 21. Very interesting passage I want to share with you. Hallelujah. Okay. Zechariah, what did I say? 14. Zechariah 14. Look at 20. Praise God. Did you get it? Or am I wrong with the translation? I was wondering. You're slow with your stuff. Here we go. On that day, even the harness bells of the horses, you know what it, what it means? The horses, they put bells in their neck, harness them together, dry the caravan or whatever the case may be. Is that okay? The harness bells of the horses will be inscribed with these words, Holy to the Lord. And the cooking pots in the temple of the Lord will be as sacred as the basins used beside the altar. Now, I'm trying to make you see what we read before in Second Thessalonians. I mean, First Thessalonians, right? Chapter 5. Talking about how God will make you, consecrate you, make you holy, spirit, soul, and body. That's what he's saying now. Now, he's describing the natural temple. And remember, he's talking about even the horses that are used. What he's trying to say, everything that man will make use of is going to be consecrated as holy unto the Lord. Is that okay? Go to verse uh, 21. And it says, In fact, every cooking pot in Jerusalem and Judea will be holy to the Lord of heavens. Amen. All who come to worship will be free to use any of this pot to boil their sacrifices. And on that day, there will be no longer be trace in the temple of the Lord of what? Of the armies. The trace of what? I mean, traders. No longer betrayed us in the temple of the Lord of armies. And I want you to know that is very important. Holiness unto the Lord in temple, right? Cooking pot, fine and sparkling boughs of the altars, they're all going to be holy. But there's this thing I want you to know that there will be no more traders where? In the temple of God on that particular day. The dam of the consecration. Remember, um, I think if we have to go on, be able to show you something. Let me show you something. Ezekiel 23, um, verse 39. Ezekiel 23, verse 39. Praise the Lord. I want you to understand it because we'll go down to be able to see when Jesus made that statement in the book of John, 
My house shall be called a house of prayers. Remember that. What did he do? He chased away those who were buying and selling. So that's what he said. My house shall no longer be a house for trading. Okay. On the very day they shall sacrifice their children to the idols. They boldly came into my temple to worship. They came in and defiled my house. This was the attitude. The same attitude, if you will, that goes with the issue of buying and selling. Amen? Okay. Man, the effect of the day of the Lord, that's what we're looking at here. Initiated the move when he will literally, in the days of his flesh, walk into the temple and do what he did in John chapter 2. Let's look at 13 to 16. John 2, 13 to 16. We are looking at the situation. Remember, in the second Corinthians, he said, Come out of my people. What have the temple of God got to do with uh, idols? And here you see children of Israel doing all of those things. Where? In the temple of the Lord. Okay. Right. So we go. The Bible says, And the Jews passed over was at hand. And Jesus went up to Jerusalem. The next thing says, And found in the temple those that sold oxen and sheep and doves, and the changer of money sitting. What did he do? Look at the next thing. And when he had made a scourge of small cord, he drove them all out of the temple, and the sheep, and the oxen, and poured out the changer's money, and overturned the tables. And what's the next thing that happened? And he said unto them, said unto them that sold doves, Take these things hence or away. Make not my father's house and house of what? Of merchandise. Now Zechariah 14 says, There will be no more trading in the house of God. Did you get this? So, I want you to understand. Now if you take time to study, in the course of my study, that's Zechariah chapter 40 verse 21, it actually speaks of the Canaanites. Who were the people that initially occupied the promised land? You find that in Exodus 23. We look at 23 and 28. You find I talk about the Canaanite. No more trading in my father's house. No more Canaanites in my father's house. Hallelujah. Now, what he's trying to say was, when you look at the word, no more trading, it speaks of the spirit of the Canaanite. It's a particular spirit. And it's important to understand that. The Canaanites with other nations are known for their wickedness and immorality whom the Lord eventually drove out of the land like the Amorites. You understand that? So you find that the Canaanites are a symbol of wickedness and immorality which is spiritual wickedness inhabiting man at the temple of God. It's not just talking on some how do I put it now? Some things you observe of course you look at the church today we are not talking about people who literally come to church to buy and sell. Right? But within you as a temple, within you as a dwelling place of God, you can begin to inhabit some kind of spirit that has to do with wickedness in your attitude, in your conduct. In fact, what the Lord is saying here, no buying and selling is, you must forsake everything that is not in line with the spirit of God. Because that makes it a Canaanite spirit. He said, even the horses and the utensils shall be called holiness unto who? Unto the Lord. So every aspect of you is meant to be consecrated. Hallelujah. So this wickedness 
and all the conduct of the Canaanite is what constitutes the buying and selling, the traders, to whom the Lord, the spirit of the angel of God, has to be driven away from the land for the children of Israel to occupy them. Let me give you a simple illustration on that. Exodus 23, verse 23. Exodus 23, verse 23. Thou shalt not bow down to their gods, nor serve them, nor do their works, but thou shalt utterly overthrow them, and quit break down their world images. 23, I said, you gave me 24. Let's go back to 23 first. For my angel shall go before thee, and bring thee in unto the Amorite, and the Hittite, and the Perizzite, and the Canaanite, the Hevite, and the Jebusite, and I will cut them off. Did you get that? Good. I am going to drive away these people. So, this is exactly what Jesus did, where? In his temple. In that John 2. You drive out the Canaanite and the Amorite, by implication, Driving out orphans or spirits that are contrary to his own spirit that are inhabiting your life so that you can be holy unto him. That's why you must check your motive, you must check your character. Hallelujah. In scripture, say, examine yourself whether you be in the faith. How that Christ dwells what? In you. If you're living your life without the spirit of Christ, if you're living your life without the leading of the Holy Spirit of Christ, you are a defiled temple. You're walking with the Canaanites and the Amorites. You understand what I mean? And you must allow Jesus to come in to drive away those spirits. You see, God wants you to live a very plain and free life. You don't suspect anybody. You don't hate anybody. You don't. You got to live a free life. Are you following what I'm saying here? You got to live a free life. You see, one of the things you say is the one that protects you. You can protect yourself. You don't even know how many people are against you as we're talking now. You don't know. And it's even for your own good that you shouldn't know. You may not even think that you have anything, but you don't know how many people are envious of your life right now. Those who are jealous. Those who feel you shouldn't even exist. You may not know. And it's better for you that you don't even know. Hallelujah. Because if you clog your spirit... The flow of the Holy Spirit will no longer be there. How that God said I walk in them will no longer be made manifest. Because there will be contention. There will be strife between your spirit man and the spirit of God. So it's always good that you don't even know. So that you live your free life. Love everybody. Hate no one. Have a free life. Have a free spirit. Hallelujah. And one of the things that God really wants you to live with is the spirit of joy. You know, it will tell you rejoice. And I say what? Rejoice anytime. Because that gives you the victory regularly. If you really want to have victory every day of your life, you've got to be joyful in your spirit. You've got to be cheerful in your spirit. It's one of the major, major spirit that enables you to overcome, to have a daily victory in your life. The spirit of joy. With joy shall it draw salvation out of the way, right? Draw from the well of salvation, Isaiah tells us. It's important that you be happy no matter what happens. No matter the situation, no matter the circumstance, don't let that spirit of cheerfulness and rejoicing be taken out of your life. Keep it up there. Hallelujah. Go with me to Ephesians 2, 
21 and 22. Ephesians 2, 21, 22. In whom all the building, which is the temple, freely framed together, grown into a holy temple in the Lord. Okay, go back a little bit. No, go to verse 20. Let's say from verse 20 so that you can get the flow. And are built upon the foundation of the apostle and prophet, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. And verse 21. In whom all the building fill the frame together, grown it unto an holy temple in the Lord. Verse 22. In whom ye also are built together. For what? Habitation of God through the Spirit. You are being built together through the habitation of God through the Spirit. So when God said, I'll walk in them, then you're going to understand what I'm trying to say. How does He walk in you? Through the Spirit. When you become His temple, He walks in you, He moves through you. That's why you must hear His voice, that you must know what He wants. That's why he must know what makes him happy. Hallelujah. Praise God. So, go with me to Revelation 22 verse 14 and 15 now. Where God begins to dwell in your life. Amen. Blessed are they. Hallelujah. Blessed are they that keep do his commandments. That they may have right to the tree of life. And may enter in through the gates into the city. What city? The Jerusalem. The Zion. What's the next thing? For without. That is outside our dogs. And sorcerers. Warmongers. Murderers. Idolaters. Whosoever alive. I mean love it. And make it what? A lie. Praise the Lord. When you come to this place where God begins to dwell in you, one of the things that you're going to be experiencing is the presence of God, the face of God, which is the intelligence of God, be made manifest unto you. And when you talk about those who keep my commandment, those who keep the words, let's take something from Second Peter 1 and 2 to 11. Let me show you something there. Take it from a simpler translation, if you will. Second Peter 1, 2 to 11. Grace and peace to you many times over as you deepen your experience with God and Jesus our Master. Verse 3. Everything that goes into a life of pleasing God have been miraculous given to us by getting to know personally and intimately the one who invited us to God. The best invitation we have ever received. Hallelujah. I want you to know those words. Intimately. Huh? Look at that. Personally, we are getting to know him what? Personally and what? Intimately. You must come to that place of total fellowship with God. Personally and intimately. All right. Go to verse, the verse, verse, verse four. 
We were once given absolutely terrific promises to pass on to you. Your tickets to participation in the life of God after you turn your back on the world corrupted by lust. Let's look at the ticket. Go ahead. Verse 5. So, don't lose a minute in building on what you've been given. Complementing your basic faith with good character. These are the things that open the door for you into God's kingdom. What does it say there? Good character. Spiritual understanding. Is that okay? That's why you believe intimately with God. You come to the place of true spiritual understanding. How God walks, how God talks. Amen? What he needs from you. What's the next thing? Verse 6. Alert discipline. Passionate, patient. Reverent wonder about God. Is that okay? What's the next thing? Warm friendliness between one another. Between people. Hallelujah. And generous love. These are characters of the nature of God that you now possess that open the door for you to enter into the city which is the kingdom of God. Friendliness and generous love in dimension fitting into and developing the order. One another. This has to do with your fellow. Is that okay? What's the next thing? With these qualities active and growing in your lives, no grass will grow under your feet. <laughs> Hallelujah. No day will pass without its reward. Hallelujah. As you mature in your experience of our master, Jesus Christ. No day will pass without reward. Coming from who? From God. What's the next thing? Without these qualities, you can see what is right before you. Oblivious that your old sinful life has been wiped off the books. If you don't have this character, you can see what's ahead of you. You can't even know what God has in mind for you. You have become ignorant of the fact that you once lived a life that does not agree with the Spirit of God. Hallelujah. Look at the next thing. Verse 10. So friends, confirm God's invitation to you. His choice of you. Don't put it off. Do it now. Do this. And you will have life on a firm footing. Amen. And verse 11 says, The street paved and the way wide open into eternal kingdom of our master and savior who? Jesus Christ. Your character is so vitally important before God. Amen. So vitally important. That's what makes you to enter the city of God. Your character. Your attitude. And I told you last week. How do you develop these characters? It is part of what? The nature of who? Of God. You remember that? It's part of the nature of God. That's why. That's the computer I read. King James said we have put on the divine nature of God. We got the divine nature of God. And so we should be able to exhibit these characters. And the more we exhibit this character, the Bible says no grass will grow under your feet. What that means is there is nothing negative that will be found on your way as you walk. 
the road paved, the way made open, an entrance into the kingdom of God. No grass will grow under your feet. Hallelujah. No wonder the Bible talks about the street of gold. Eh? And people really want to go into the street of gold. Remember that. Hallelujah. So this represents the spirit of the Canaanite, like I said before. If you lack these things, you know, the nature of the fallen man that have been a hindrance to the life of God. On the other hand, we have eventually become the true temple of God. And so we have this life of God manifested to us regularly. By reason of the character that finally we begin to put on. Let's read this final scripture for tonight. Or let me see. Revelation 21, look at verse 25 and 26. You can read the King James, whatever translation you want. Again, hallelujah. Revelation 21. Are you there with me? 25, 26. Bible says, The gate of it shall not be shut at all by day, for there shall be no light there. The gate of the city shall not be shut. Now remember, you are the city right now of the living God. Amen. The, the Bible said, The gate shall not be shut at all by day, for there shall be no light there. The light there is no natural light. I have always explained this to you. If you look at a temple in the wilderness, the altar court is not covered. And so you receive the natural light of the sun. The middle court, you have the candlesticks. Amen? Seven candlesticks. Remember that. And that is showbread. But the most holy place, you don't have no natural light. You don't have candlesticks there. The light you find in the most holy place is the glory of God. So when you say in this city, there is no night there. No night, no light. No darkness. Is that okay? What I mean, no night. The light that you see in this city is no natural light. It's the glory of God. And night symbolizes, as we always know, ignorance, thieves, robbers. They operate at this particular time. Night speaks basically of ignorance. So when he say no night there, meaning no ignorance in this dimension. And no thieves, and not those who buy and sell, will not be found in this city. Hallelujah. Neither will you operate by the natural light. The glory of God is the main light. You know what he said in Isaiah 60? Arise, shine for the glory of the Lord risen upon you. That's not natural light. And when the glory comes, the night fades away. Night of darkness, night of sorrow, night of pains, night of ignorance, all of those things disappears. Hallelujah. Go to the next verse. And he says, verse 26, And it shall bring the glory and honor of nations where? Into it. Hallelujah. The glory and honor of nations shall be brought into the temple, into your life. Man, you come to the place where you truly begin to find favor. Praise the living God. What's the next thing? And there shall be no wise enter into it anything that defileth, neither whatsoever worketh abomination. Or make it a lie, 
But they which are written where? In the Lamb's book of life. Praise the living God. What do you mean Lamb book of life? I've explained that a little bit here I'm sure. The Lamb book of life speaks of the biography of the Lamb. And the biography of a man speaks of the nature, the character, whatever activities he has accomplished in his life. You can have a biography or autobiography. Amen. So the biography of the Lamb is the nature, the character, his accomplishment. In fact, it has to do from where Jesus was conceived, died, resurrected, and got into glory. All of his activities speaks of the Lamb book of life. And so here we are talking about those who experience these people. I mean, this nature or this temple experience where night will not be found have to do with those who are put on the character of who? Of Christ. The redeemed people. Who don't have the name of the Lord written where? On their forehead. The challenge I have for you is do you believe in what God is saying in this world? That because he's called you to himself, he's consecrated you to himself, and that he's also prepared to drive out those who buy and sell in your own life, which is his temple. And by reason of that, there will be no night found within you. In your experience and walk in life, it will be all be day, it will all be glory, it will all be Lord, the presence of the Lord. Why? Because his face is towards you. Regularly, David prayed and said, Hide not thy face from me, O Lord. You got to understand the intelligence of God, the wisdom of God coming towards you regularly, protecting and seeing you through even as you walk through life. Look, scripture says, Cast your cares upon the Lord, for he cares for you. Hallelujah. I said, Hallelujah. So, this is what it means to have this name. I'm talking of the effect. And the resultant effect of the name of God written where? In our forehead. It makes us his glorified temple. It makes us such a dimension wherein when we pray, God answers because we are his temple. He talks Solomon, 2 Corinthians 7. When people pray for this temple, wherever, I will answer. And that is why I discovered that when Daniel was praying in Babylon, people don't understand why he was always opening his his windows toward Jerusalem in the east three times in the day which was the time they used to pray in Jerusalem right so we opened this temple at the 9 12 and 4 whatever every day towards Jerusalem why because he had the mind and his understanding in Second Chronicles where the scripture says wherever a Jew is and he prays towards the temple he will do what he will answer that is how to walk with understanding of scripture. So Daniel was walking in that dimension. Is a part of what we are considering in relation to the promises of the, Holy, of the Holy Scriptures. God said, this is what I'm going to do. And Daniel took that from the scriptures. from Second Chronicles 7. So he keep on praying toward Jerusalem. Three times in the day. Anytime they are praying in Jerusalem, and supposedly he will pray. Now they were in captivity in Babylon. But he was observing that because that's what the scripture says. God promised when you pray towards Jerusalem and this temple, I will answer. My face will be here. My name will be here. My glory will be in this place. And I will drive away all that by sell. So Daniel understood that and kept it and was working with it. 
What am I trying to make you understand? You become the temple of God because he's reaching his name on your forehead. He's chased out the buying and selling spirit, the Canaanite spirit. Everything about you, God intends to be holy and he's making it holy. He's the one that sanctifies you. But what is more important is this. You have to understand that when you pray to God, he does what? He answers you. Don't forget the promise, 2 Corinthians 6. You are now what? His temple. You are now what? His son and daughters. You are now what? So that have belonged to God and he is now your father. Don't miss that understanding. That as a child, you can always talk to your father on what you want. And he gives it to you. Praise the living God. Are you there with me? So this is part of the effect of the name of the Lord being written where? On your forehead. And I'm saying, these people are those who have overcome the beast. In Revelation 13. They have the name written where? On their forehead. But in Revelation 14, they are the redeemed of the Lord. They now have the name of the Lord written where? In their forehead. Instead of the name of the beast. That's why what we just read from the book of Second Peter is very important. Add up your character. Take it from King James. Second Peter again. Let's look at it. And then we end there tonight. Praise the Lord. Second Peter, I think we started from chapter 2. I mean verse number 2. Second Peter. Chapter 1 verse number 2. Praise the Lord. Grace and peace be multiplied unto you through the knowledge of our Lord. Jesus Christ of our Lord. I mean, knowledge of God and of Jesus Christ our Lord. Grace and peace be multiplied. Please, 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 I want you to get this. Grace and peace be multiplied unto you through what? The knowledge of God. Grace and peace can only be multiplied to you through what? The knowledge of God. I want you to catch that. If that's your take home tonight, fine. Hallelujah. We all need grace to walk this earth, right? We all need peace. What the Lord is saying, you don't even need to pray for peace. You don't pray for grace. He made grace available. He made his peace available. So but how do you acquire them? How do you get them? How do you get them on a regular basis? Through what? The knowledge of God and of our Lord Jesus Christ. So how much of the knowledge of God you have and of the Lord Jesus Christ guarantees the level of peace and grace that you experience? Did you get that? Are you with me? <laughs> What's the next thing? Verse 3. Everything that goes into a life of pleasing God have been miraculous given to us by getting to know Personally and intimately. I said, give me King James. Just leave it in King James, please. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. According to his divine power, and given unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness. Through, again what? The knowledge of him that had called us to glory and virtue. Notice that again. The emphasis on what? Knowledge. Everything you need to live this life 
is already available. But you need to know it. Amen. That something has been made available doesn't mean you know about it. I was discussing with somebody today. You see, long ago slavery, even when they abolished slave trade, they were still practicing slave trade in Africa and all other places. Why? Because there was no means of communication for people to know. But the law had been passed that slave trade had been bound. But men were still practicing slave trade. Even the same thing. Everything God you need from God have made available, but you got to know it. That is why you must study the scripture. That's why you must pray right. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Paul will pray, he said that I may know him and the power of his resurrection. I may know him and the power of his resurrection. It's not a prayer of God, give me, give me, give me, get, get, give, give me, give me, get. It's just time wasting. Look at the next thing. Verse 4. Whereby has given unto us exceeding great and precious promises, that by these you might be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through loss. That's Revelation 13 again, 16, 17. Go in the next verse. And beside this, giving all diligence, to your faith virtue and to virtue knowledge I need to understand the emphasis Paul, I mean Peter is giving in this passage how many times knowledge is mentioned already with just three verses or four what's the next thing and to knowledge temperance you need to find out if you have patience even towards people can you endure people can you endure their weaknesses? Hallelujah. And to temperance, what? Patience. And to patience, what? Godliness. What's the next thing? And to godliness, brotherly kindness. And to brotherly kindness, love. Brotherly kindness, love, which is charity. Do you have it? What's the next thing? For if this thing be in you, so go back and look at those things. And abound, they make you that you shall neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. So what gives you knowledge? Your relationship with people. You won't be barren. You won't be empty. That means you continuously be fruitful. You have to be fruitful regularly. And Jesus said that. You did not call me, I called you. I'll send you for that. You must bring forth what? Fruit. If these things are in your life, you will be barren of the life of God. What's the next thing? Verse 9. But he that lacketh these things is blind and cannot see afar off, and had forgotten that he was poor from his old sins. He that lacked these things, where you don't have patience with people, where you don't have love, where you don't have temperament, where you don't have the true knowledge of God. You are short-sighted. You are blind. You are also becoming barren of the life of God. What's the next thing? Verse 10. Wherefore, the rather brethren, give diligence to make your calling and election sure. For if you do these things, you shall never fail. Can I hear an amen? Verse 11 now, which is the key. For so an entrance, a way 
a door, a road, hallelujah, shall be ministered unto you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. How do you enter into the kingdom? Your relationship with people, the character of God, the knowledge of Jesus and God. If you have these things, an entrance, a door, oh glory, a road shall be opened unto you into the kingdom, the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and of Lord Jesus Christ. What enables you to experience the kingdom is what we are describing in Second Peter chapter 1, verse 2 unto 11. It's important you get these characters in your life. God, you see, I believe in the supernatural. You know that. I believe in the miracles, whatever it is. I believe in the gift of the Spirit. You know I speak in tongues. All of those things I do. But what is most important to God is the fruit of the Spirit. Because that gives you the character of God. When he says, let's make mine an image after a likeness. The image and likeness of God is not your appearance. It's the nature of God. Which is the character of God. He wants man to become like him in character. Not in shape. God is not a black man. God is not a white man. So it's not a shape. If you think it's your shape, then how does God look like? Because if you bring a Chinese man here, yeah, he's different from you. And if you want to speak Chinese man, clean, 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 you, know, you, can, you understand that. But you see, where God entered a Chinese mind, speak like a Chinese. He entered a Rubo mind, speak like a Rubo person. What is important to God is not what you say. It's the nature, your character, your relationship with people. Is that okay? That's what brings his character to life. That's what brings his image to life. And then you begin to see what Jesus said. If you see me, you send the Father. God wants to express himself through you. That is the ultimate. Praise the living God. And for that to happen, you must come to this accurate knowledge of who? Of God. Personal, intimate relationship and the knowledge of God and of our Lord Jesus Christ. And when that happens, a door will be opened for you into the, I mean, the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Lord Jesus Christ. A door will be opened. It is God that opens that door. And this is a door that opens, no man can shut. You remember the promises he made? If God opened a door, no man can shut that door. Praise the living God, somebody. I just believe that God has helped you tonight by receiving simple instruction on the name that's written where on your forehead. It's not a literal name. It's the nature of God. It's the character of God. It's the attitude of God that he wants you to bear. For those who are reading what the 144,000 we've come to receive what? His character. I should be able to see God in your life when I look at you. Hallelujah. For the opposite of God is God. Opposite of God is not Satan. Because when I look at you, I see God in you. You see God in me. So the opposite of God is God. God bless you. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Dr. David Ogaga. We know you have been blessed by this station. You can share this message with your friends and loved ones. For more information, inquiries, and free downloads, please visit www.davidogaga.org or you can send us an email admin at gkai.net. God bless you.